If you're new with us, we're in this series, um, and if you're here today, whether it's in the room or you're online, we've been in this series. We took a pause for like three and a half, four months in Colossians in this series entitled Satisfied. This is the way that we define what it means to be satisfied in Jesus Christ, believing and experiencing that Jesus is better, that it's not enough to know that Jesus is better. A lot of us know that. But are we believing it? Are we putting it into action? It is, a convic- is it a conviction of ours? Are we believing it and are we experiencing that Jesus is better? And I don't know about you, but I've been tested more in the last four months on that reality as, as things have been removed that I was looking forward to, uh, different events, uh, different circumstances, whatever it was during this time of this pandemic that we have been in. And you know what the Lord has done to me during this time? He has reminded me of where my satisfaction needs to be found. And I hope that's true of you as well. So we're gonna finish out this book this morning. We're in Colossians 4, verses two through six. You're like, well, there's 18 verses in chapter four. I know, stick with me, but we're gonna focus on verses two through six. So hopefully you're there in Colossians chapter four. Paul says this. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving. Now, before I read verse three, let me remind ourselves that Paul is writing this in prison. So he's writing this letter, and so these are his last words to this church at at Colossae, not his last words in the sense that he's about to die, but Paul doesn't know that. We know that. We know that his life still goes on, but Paul doesn't know that. And so these words are very important words that he's writing to this church that uh, has begun through uh, Paul's ministry, verse three. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. There it is where he's writing this, verse four. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse five, walk in wisdom towards outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. Everybody say always. 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 Let your speech always be gracious. Like we stop there and we all walk out convicted, right? Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Here's what I want us to get out of these verses that we're gonna look at this morning. It's this idea that a satisfied heart So we've been looking at in every verse of Colossians. How do we have a satisfied heart? How do we believe and experience that Jesus is better? A satisfied heart is a result of stewarding well each day that you are given by God. Do you need to be reminded of that this morning? That today is a gift from God for you. And you have the choice to steward it well or to waste it. That's your choice. That's the choice that God gives you. That's the free will that God gives you. And so if we're living with a satisfied heart, a life that testifies that we believe that Jesus is better, then we are going to steward well each day that we are given by God. I mentioned already that Paul is writing this in prison, and here's the reason why I emphasize that again, is because Paul has learned, keyword learned, this didn't come to him just intuitively. He has learned what it looks like to experience true satisfaction in the Lord. And how did he learn that? Through adversity. I would love to tell you that your satisfaction being found in the Lord and you learning that and you growing tremendously in that reality happens just in good times. I wish that was the reality. 
But more than ever, you grow more in that reality when you are walking through difficult times. And Paul learned that. Here's what else Paul understood and learned. He learned the importance of maximizing each day that he was given to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul learned that. He didn't know if he was going to have the next day. None of us in this room would want to trade places with Paul. Nobody. Maybe we'd like to experience some of the blessings Paul experienced to see the church thrive in the way that the Lord used Paul. You're like, well, that'd be awesome, but you wouldn't want to go through the process of that. You wouldn't want to be shipwrecked and beaten and left for dead and, 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 and all the different things that Paul had to go through. You wouldn't have wanted that. But Paul learned in that the importance of maximizing each day, understanding he didn't know if it would be his last. And every one of us has been given a certain number of days by the Lord. Now, I don't say that in a, in a depressing way or a discouraging way, but every one of us do. I mean, you could be diagnosed with cancer as, as terrible as that is and, and praying for healing in that, and you could have more days than I do. No idea. In fact, Psalm 90, verse 12 says this, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Notice Psalm 90 says, teach us. Why? Because that's not intuitive to us. We think that, man, I got all the days in the world, especially when you're younger. You're like, man, I'm invincible. Right? But Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days. Paul says, gives this idea that, that we need to steward our time well. And how do we do that? Well, I want to give you three ways quickly. Here's the first way. Paul says to pray intentionally. But that's how you steward your days. It says continue steadfastly. That word steadfastly has the idea of intensity. That you're to continue with intensity in your prayers. That that's how you need to pray. Pray intentionally. Well, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It means you need to be persistent in your prayers. So, Think about this. Continue steadfastly. It has the idea of over and over and over again, you need to be praying. Now, if you look at that literally, you're like, well, what in the world does that look like? Does that mean I need to walk around every single day and be constant communication with the Lord and praying out loud to, my, to myself and to the Lord or in my mind? How in the world can I pay attention to anybody else? Like, you come up to me in the lobby afterwards, and I'm like, sorry, sorry, I can't talk to you. I'm praying to the Lord right now. Like, you'd think that was a little weird, right? So what is, what is Paul talking about? Is he talking about literally every waking moment I have to be literally praying to the Lord? You're like, I don't have that many requests. I don't know. I have trouble praying for five minutes, let alone all day. That's not as much as what Paul is talking about as he's talking about the posture of your heart. See, he's talking about posture as much as he's talking about prayer, and I'm not saying that so that some of you who, whose prayer lives are weak at best can feel better about that. That's not what I'm talking about. But he's literally saying there needs to be intensity and in the posture of your heart by which you pray. See, some of us, man, we pray for something and the Lord doesn't answer it in three hours. And we're like, see, I told you God doesn't care. Or we pray about it a couple weeks and you're like, see, I told you Lord doesn't care. Man, I've been praying for my husband to come to Jesus for years and it hasn't happened yet. I'm just going to stop praying. Jesus gives a parable about a widow who consistently keeps, for lack of a better word, bugging her master and how he finally gives in to what she's saying. And the Lord uses that analogy in that the Lord's never going to tell you to stop asking. The Lord's never going to say, would you get over it already? 
So there's a, there's a consistency in my prayers, but listen to me, prayer is as much about the prayer as it is the prayer. Because some of you might say, some of you might say, well, um, you know, God knows everything. You might, you might have some theology, you might have a good grasp on things, you're like, well, God knows everything, so why in the world do I need to pray if he already knows it already? Because it does something in you. It's as much about the prayer as it is the prayer. And Paul says we need to be persistent in our prayers. My continually praying to the Lord is as much about my communion as relationship with God rather than when you hear that, oftentimes you think I need to continue in my prayer and we only focus on our needs. That's all we think about when we think about prayer rather than no, it's communion with God. It's abiding in God. It's relationship with God. And let me say this. I don't know about you, but let me be transparent here. These last three, four months where our routines have been turned upside down, I don't know about you, but it's been so much harder for me to be disciplined and having consistent time with the Lord than before this ever happened. And that seems counterintuitive because you're like, well, I don't have to be at work by eight o'clock in the morning. I can do my work in my pajamas. And, and if I want to run to the refrigerator, I can do that. I don't, I don't have to worry about, well, it's not 10, 15, my break time. So like you have more time than you've ever had before. So why is it so hard to spend time with the Lord? And I wonder how many of you are feeding your soul on the right thing right now? We're feeding our soul on our favorite news channel. We're feeding our soul on all the articles that we can read about COVID-19 that agree with our conclusions. And we're just feeding, 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 feeding that, feeding that, feeding that, feeding that. And we haven't spent any time with the Lord in the last four months. I've had conversations with people and they're like, yeah, man, my quiet time is has been distant, like I really haven't had it. And, and, and I'm like, man, I understand. I've had to, I mean, it's taken so much more discipline to engage in that than before. You know why? Because the enemy knows it's what you need. Persistent in your prayers. Here's another thing that, that praying intentionally means. It means being thankful in your prayers. Paul says, be watchful in it, be alert. That word uh, watchful means alert. Alert in it with what? With thanksgiving. Watch what you're praying about because here's what I've found in my life and it's true of you. If you are not thankful in your prayers, your prayer life will not continue. If you are not saying, man, let me also thank the Lord for what he's done, your prayer life will not be consistent. It will not be engaging. It will stop. You'll stop praying stop praying. And I wonder if that's the reason why some of you have stopped praying, stopped communing with God. Because in reality, you're angry at God. You're angry that he allowed this. You're angry that your schedule has been turned upside down. You're angry because you lost your job. You're angry at things. And so, you're, so really deep down, you haven't embraced what's behind that. And your lack of thankfulness to what God has done in your wilderness has caused you to forget, no, 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 you're blessed and you need to remind yourself of that. You need to pray with thankful prayers. You need to be kingdom focused in your prayers. 
See, this is where we oftentimes fall short in our prayer life. Well, we may be thankful, we may pray for ourselves, we may pray for, for those you know, who are our loved ones or our friends, but how many of us are kingdom focused in our prayers? Look at what Paul says, I want you to pray, and Paul focuses on himself, not in a selfish way at all, but he says, I want you to pray for the work of the gospel. He says, I want you to pray for me that God would open up a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. The work of the gospel is fueled by prayer. We need to get that. We need to remind ourselves of that. We need to embrace that. It's not that the Lord needs our prayers, but listen, when we are praying for God's kingdom to be advanced, it recalibrates our mind to what is most important. And can I just say this? Can I just remind yourself of reality? Maybe some of you didn't be reminded of this. Your pastor and your pastoral staff and your elders, we don't have a Superman sign underneath our shirts. We don't. And I've talked to so many pastors during this time, and you know what I've heard consistently from all of them, and I can identify with this as well? Listen to me. I didn't get into this line of work and feel called to go into this line of work so I can talk to a camera for four months. I did not say, I can't wait to be on Facebook Live. I mean, I feel like a televangelist now. Like, as, as silly as that is, you need to understand how much you need to pray for your leadership. And not just in this church, but in all the other churches that stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ that we pray so often for in this place. Because right now, they're discouraged. You're discouraged? Well, guess what? So are their leadership can battle that discouragement. Fears of what's this going to look like when this is over and all the other things. And sometimes we forget that, man, our prayers also need to be about the kingdom work of God. We need to pray intentionally. We cannot steward our days well if we leave out communing with God. Here's the second thing. We need to walk wisely. Look at what it says in verse 5. It says, walk in wisdom. Walk literally means the way that you live your life. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Outsiders being people that have yet to place their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Making the best use of the time. You ask this, how do I live life in wisdom towards people who have yet to believe in Jesus? Here's how you do it. Here's the measuring stick, so to speak. It's to walk in such a way that communicates that the way that you live your life, it communicates that you believe that Jesus is better than the things that people are living for that don't have a relationship with Jesus. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are living for the same things as people who are not followers of Jesus Christ, then you are not walking wisely. See, there's to be something about my life that people see that say, man, there's something different about him or her. Not that they're condescending, not that you're condescending to people who don't know Jesus, but man, they have a joy that I don't have. Man, they, they seem to be not, not succumb to some circumstances like I've succumbed. Why, why is that so important? Because every day that I wake up, I have been given a responsibility by God, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ, God making his appeal through us, so that every day that I get up, here is, here's what I need to ask myself. How am I gonna walk in wisdom towards people who need the same Jesus that I have? Walk in wisdom. Walk wisely. Here's the third thing. Talk graciously. So you're like, man, I was betting a 1,000 until we came to this. Talk 
graciously. Verse six, look at what it says. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Write this down. When your character, remember, that's who you are and what you do when no one else is watching. When your character and your conduct and your conversation are all working together, that's the trifecta. It makes for a powerful witness. Think about that. And when my character, when my conduct and my conversation are all in tune and communicate that Jesus is better, there is not a more powerful witness to people who have yet to believe in Jesus Christ than that. And the way that that happens by me saying, man, are the words that are coming out of my, li- out of my mouth, are they speaking life into other people or are they speaking death? And I love salt. Love it. Like a lot of times Lori will make something and, and I'll have the salt shaker there. and I'll be, She's like, I already salted. I was like, I know. I love salt. What does salt do? Man, it makes you thirsty. It makes you want more. It makes something taste better. And when Paul says, let your speech be seasoned with salt, what he's literally saying is, man, when people are around you, man, you are speaking something into their life that makes them want more of what you have. That when you're around people, That they're like, man, I want to be around that person more because when I leave, I feel encouraged. I feel empowered. I feel motivated to believe that Jesus is better. Listen to me. Followers of Jesus Christ ought to be the most positive, life-speaking people that there are. Some of you need to check your heart because some of you, all that comes out of your mouth is negativity all day long. Have you ever ridden with someone like that in a car? I have, and at times I've literally thought to myself, if I jump out of the car right now, would I be able to survive? (laughs) And you know that about people. Some of you don't realize you're that person that the other person is thinking about. And what God has called his people to do is to talk graciously. Verses 7 through 18, you know what I love that? Sometimes you come to books and you're like, man, there's one name after another name after another name after another name. Okay, we're done. But what's awesome in verses 7 through 18, you have seven different people mentioned and every one of them were impacted by the words of Paul. He was leaving a legacy. And the way that we steward our days that are given to us by God is literally every day saying, Lord, let me live my life in such a way that says that you are better. That I would say Jesus is better. I'm gonna believe that. I need to tell myself that today. Jesus is better. Say that with me. Jesus is better. Say it again. Jesus is better. I want you to stand with me today. And we're gonna read a passage of scripture that is the theme passage of scripture in Colossians. We dealt with it many, many, many weeks and months ago. Colossians 1 verses 15 through 20. And I want us to read this together out loud together. Because when you get up tomorrow and you're tempted to give in to something that's competing for your allegiance in your heart, that's competing for you to believe that it's better than Jesus, I want you to have a passage of scripture that you can say, no, 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 let me take whatever that thing is, whatever that job is, whatever that opportunity 
community is, whatever even that relationship is, and let me compare it to what Jesus says about himself so that I'm not tempted to believe that something is better than Jesus. I'm giving you a passage of scripture. We've looked at it already. I want you to remember this when Colossians is now on, off of your mind and you're now, we're now in another book that you can remind yourself when you are struggling to believe that Jesus is better, that you can remember this passage of scripture to re- remind you that you are blessed. Would you read this with me? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, say that again, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before what? All things. And in him what? All things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, how much? Everything. He might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood of his cross. Lord I thank you for this book that we have walked through these many months. That remind us of the reality that Jesus is better. God, may you remind us of that reality when we want to have other things compete for our allegiance, things that can never promise on what they, or deliver on what they promise. But Lord, you have given us all of yourself. I mean, we speak that into the circumstances that we walk in so that we may be people who not only say with our words, but our life that Jesus is better. In Jesus' name, amen.